Welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our transfer market insiders and pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, Jose Mourinho's tumultuous reign as Manchester United manager is over. We take you inside events as they unfolded and look at the reasons for the Portuguese boss's early demise. As Ed Woodward looks to appoint a caretaker until the end of the season, we look at the structure of the club and why being a boss at Manchester United may not be as attractive as it appears on the surface. And we assess the best candidates to take over permanently and look at the six big names in contention. Well, it's been a huge story for us over the last few months and where better to hear the inside story of what happened with Jose Mourinho at Manchester United, where today he has been let go from the club. Duncan, did this really come as a surprise to anyone? It came as a surprise to most people. Um, This happened very suddenly. It happened obviously with a background of um, problems at the club, discontent and uh, dispute between Jose Mourinho and the board, which we've talked about here for months and months and months. But there was no expectation um, in the run-up to this game from Jose Mourinho's uh, side that it would be potentially his last game as Manchester United manager. Um, What I'm told is that when he came in to train the team uh, this morning, uh, he was met at the training ground by uh, the the executive vice chairman, Ed Woodward, and uh, told that his services were no longer required. Um, Several of his assistants have also been dismissed this morning. Um, Essentially, the the Portuguese um, staff that he brought with him to Old Trafford, um, who are remaining after Rui Farias' uh, resignation in the summer, and those are Silvino Loro um, and Ricardo Formazinho. Also gone, I'm told, is Stefano Rapetti, the fitness coach that Mourinho hired from Italy um, to take over some of Rui Faria's duties uh, in the summer. Um, That leaves Kieran McKenna, um, who was promoted from the academy, one of the academy teams, to the the senior coaching staff in the summer, again, to partially replace Faria. Um, And Michael Carrick, in charge of training today, and uh, potentially in charge of uh, Manchester United's next match against Cardiff. United are trying um, in their statement. They've said that they are looking for a new caretaker manager um, as they simultaneously try to find a new full-time manager to appoint at the end of the season, which is quite an odd state of affairs, which we can analyse later. Um, And they hope to have him in place by Thursday um, to take charge of the game. I think, um, well, from what I understand, um, a number of uh, events have, have, have happened to accelerate this process of, um, of changing Mourinho. That they had been thinking about a change at the end of the season, but uh, in meetings with Mourinho's representatives in recent months, they made it clear that um, the manager still had their support while they were unhappy about results. Um, they remained behind them. 
Um, I think there was a there was definitely a feeling um, that a change could happen at the end of the season, and Jose Mourinho was not sure of his future beyond that. But he certainly did not expect this to happen this week. And I think Ian has got um, some interesting information from the let's say the American side of the equation on how how the decision was taken to dispense with Mourinho after the Liverpool defeat. Yes, yeah, my understanding, Duncan, that um, even after, in the immediate aftermath of the defeat at Anfield to Liverpool, um, which has also left Manchester United well short of the top four, never mind um, first place in the Premier League, um, there were some stirrings of discontent, but as we know, the Glazer family, who represent especially Brian and Joel Glazer uh, on the board, um, the powers that be in terms of who actually make these decisions, were at that point still not convinced until <clears throat> they had a video conference board meeting, um, which uh, was held, uh, to my knowledge, uh, mid-afternoon on Monday, and Woodward who was at the game at Anfield and who I understand took counsel from other people at Manchester United to know the club well as to what should be done next, recommended the sacking of Mourinho. And on the basis that um, they've given them many opportunities for results to improve. And despite the internal conflicts, which have been prevalent throughout the season, they felt that there was no longer any point in continuing with um, the manager because they could see no obvious reason why uh, things at the club, both internally and on the pitch, would improve in the near future. And therefore, they should begin preparations for um, what would come next. Um, I'm also told that took um, the uh, situation onwards to contact Laurent Blanc last night uh, and ask him if he'd be interested in the post until the end of the season with the possibility that if the situation did improve and the, the performances improved and there was an upturn in United results, then he would be considered for the job full-time next summer. Uh, Blanc was um, very open to that and made that clear, but uh, said that obviously terms and conditions of that kind of offer would have to be met and approved by him and his representatives. Um, and then what's happened since then, obviously, is that, um, as you've explained, Duncan Mourinho was summarily dismissed at Carrington Training Ground this morning. Um, they've since released a statement, which is seems to imply that whoever takes the caretaker job, and they, remember, they're giving themselves their own deadline, which is very unusual for any football club, of 48 hours to bring in someone for the rest of the season, which suggested that last night or this morning they were very confident that that person was on board. And my information was that that person was Laurent Blanc. But then ruled that person out, potentially, of, of having the opportunity to take the job forward, regardless of results or upturn in performance um, over the next seven months or six months. So very bizarre. Um, situation for a club at Manchester United to handle this so badly and by that I mean um, contacting potential caretaker uh, or non-permanent replacements um, offering them the opportunity to effectively audition 
for the full-time job and then release a statement in which it infers that and you know listen there's no great secret and we've discussed it many times that Maurizio Pochettino is their preferred candidate to to lead the club forward so it seems to me that they've kind of shot themselves in the foot here they've got rid of an experienced manager who may well have had the opportunity or may well sorry have had the nose to turn things around um, anyway and given themselves a, a, a situation which is almost um, catch-22 for anyone coming in whereby it's like well yeah you've got six seven months and then it's going to see you type thing because we already know the next guy that we want and that makes appointing that person much more difficult it certainly makes it much more expensive and it makes it much more um, intractable in terms of you know if he does well what do you do and the fans get on saying everything else so very very badly handled and I think consummate with Edward Wood's leadership of Manchester United over the past six years or so um, in the way that managers have been recruited, then sacked, that players have been recruited and, and not worked out uh, and the way that the um, relationship between the football department and specifically the head coach and manager Jose Mourinho has deteriorated and disintegrated to the point where he was sacked this morning. Yeah, I think, I think there are a lot of important elements here, but one thing to emphasise is that Manchester United, Edward the Glazers, have accelerated a decision they were considering making in the summer. Um, it's clear they have been looking and thinking about replacing Jose Mourinho as manager. That has been certainly the understanding from Jose Mourinho's camp. He knew he was under pressure to deliver and he knew his um, tenure might not continue beyond this season. But um, you could say that the Glazers and Edward would have had the opportunity to um, come to a negotiated end to this relationship at a couple of points this season, and they've passed up that opportunity. And I think the reason they passed up that opportunity because they, they felt that it was uh, safer to retain Mourinho in place um, in the expectation that he would secure Champions League football, would be good enough to secure Champions League football, to avoid the PR damage of another sacking mid-season. And, and it should be noted here that in you know, Edward Wood is now in his, just his sixth year as um, executive vice chairman of the club. And he has now effectively announced that he'll be making his fifth and sixth appointments as manager uh, post Sir Alex Ferguson. So David Moyes, number one, Ryan Giggs um, as the caretaker, then Ryan Giggs remaining in with Louis van Gaal, with Giggs being anointed as Van Gaal's successor, Giggs departing with Van Gaal, Mourinho in. Now this um, new caretaker manager, as Manchester United describe it, and new full-time manager. Interestingly, they don't use the word permanent manager in their statement um, on the way, which is a quite extraordinary um, track record in terms of um, getting decisions wrong. Because if you got the if the club had been getting the decisions right, they wouldn't need so many managers in. Um, and and I think they they brought themselves into danger by accelerating uh, the process of 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 exchanging Mourinho for another manager. Um, I understand that uh, Ed Woodward um, met flew to America last week um, and was absent from the Champions League uh, game in Valencia, something which. Uh, Mourinho, uh, I believe, complained about his absence for, for that match. 
um, and he flew to America to meet the Glazers and, and understand that was to discuss succession um, and where the club go in terms not just a, a a potential new manager, but also the director of football position, which has been one that there has been disputes over um, between Mourinho and Woodward over, over who should come into that role. Um, this has certainly cost them money. Um, I did a story for the Daily Record yesterday um, detailing the dismissal terms uh, contained in Mourinho's contract. Um, and that's essentially one year's salary, um, which if you um, gross it out with, uh, with UK taxes amounts to around £24 million of compensation that, um, that Manchester United are liable to meet the terms of, uh, of one year of Mourinho's salary. Um, they could have, uh, had they waited until it was uh, impossible for him to qualify the club for the Champions League next season, that would have reduced their, their, their liability by 25% because 25% of his salary, as with many of the, the Manchester United 14 players, is dependent on being in the Champions League in the, in the coming season. And there was also a, a sense that that was one of the reasons why they wanted to wait until the end of the season to make a dismissal. But overall, to me, it underlines um, the naivety of this board, um, the, uh, the emotional response to obviously a defeat, um, which was a very, very poor performance, and to uh, their major rivals on away turf um, in a game where Liverpool uh, went back to the top of the league with an unbeaten start to the season. I don't think Mourinho helped his case by then giving a press conference in which I would say he spoke accurately, but in a, in a fashion that um, was unacceptable to the Manchester United board and saying that Liverpool clearly had a superior team to United at present and then identifying um, some of the flaws um, in his Manchester United squad. Very interesting discussion about the, the physical uh, problems of the team, the fact that uh, it had so many injuries, the squad had so many injuries, and they had so many players who were, um, even when they were available to play, weren't able to put out 100% physical effort on the pitch, which affected the, the intensity of game they could deliver and the, and the tactics um, they could he could use against um, certain opponents. You can um, argue, Duncan, that that's down to the fact that they're not being managed properly, that these players don't want to give their physical all for the manager. Is that a fair argument to make? You can't argue that players have an injury record um, over multiple seasons which stretch long before Jose Mourinho's arrival at the club. That that's down to them not wanting to give their all for the manager. I mean, injury records about is about your physique and also how you are you're trained. Um, I think if you look at the records, you will see that Manchester United's um, availability of first-team players improved substantially after Mourinho took charge of the club. And, um, and that's because of his training methods, um, uh, which are very focused on keeping players on the pitch, not over overstretching them in games, knowing when to play them to, to try and uh, avoid uh, minor injuries turning into major in injuries. I think if you look at this season, you'll see that they've had more, substantially more injuries than they had in the previous two seasons. I think that's not unconnected to the fact that you have a, a change of assistant coach. Um, so Rui Faria, who is a specialist in this area, 
this in many other areas, but particularly in this physical area, was no longer at the club and he was replaced by um, an Italian fitness coach and the fitness regime has changed. Um, and, I, and I think that there, there's an effect there. Um, as a, as a, if you're talking about mental attitude on the pitch, yeah, for sure. Um, you can blame the manager for that. You can say if the manager falls out with players, then he's unlikely to get uh, the same level of performance from, from them. But you, but you also have to say on the other hand, which was, I think, Mourinho's argument after the match, um, that if you, if, you're, if you make that argument, you're saying the players are dishonest and you're saying that uh, they will turn off their effort as football professionals um, because they don't like the manager. Um, which should be seen as unacceptable. And I, and I, I think it's certainly a, 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 um, a complaint or, or an allegation you can make against Paul Pogba. Um, and I think if you look at his Paul Pogba statistics for this season, compared to last season, you'll see a marked drop-off in, in almost every domain, which suggests that he has not been delivering um, from himself at the level he is capable of. And as we've detailed um, from you know, from the very start of the story on the transfer window podcast, he has been at odds with the manager. And I, um, I don't think he will be at all unhappy today to have seen the manager disappear. Well, as we've seen with his Instagram post. That was so, so inappropriate as far as I'm concerned, Johnny. That's dancing on someone's grave who's lost a job. That's the first thing. It's complete disrespect to a manager who's achieved much more than Paul Pogba has in his short career. If Pogba lifts as many trophies as Jose Mourinho has um, in his time as a player, then he has earned the right to say stupid things like caption plays at Manchester United, etc., etc., with his little smug grin on his face. Um, and it unfortunately does uh, pertain to what's been at the heart of the problem in the dressing room, from um, and that has been that Pogba, Pogba's ego has been expansive since he returned as a World Cup winner. All of that is understandable. You could argue that Mourinho failed or has failed to <clears throat> rein either that ego in or in turn um, failed to, to motivate Pogba to um, create the same kind of form in a Manchester City shirt as he does in, in the shirt of his national team. But Pogba's one of those um, players who I think um, is immature, fails to get Mourinho's methodology. Um, he needs loved, he needs to be feted, etc., etc. Mourinho tried that with him. He gave him the vice captaincy. He um, he publicly extolled him for his virtues, etc., etc. And Pogba's response was to turn in a, a you know a whole group of performances which were sackcloth and ashes. Uh, and not the the golden sort of stand, standard that he had done for France in the World Cup. Um, that's affected other players. When Duncan reported um, correctly that um, he'd been dressed down after the Southampton game and, and been labelled a virus by Mourinho because he affected other players, that's correct also. He does do that. Um, Pogba's influence in, in the Manchester United dressing room is large. Um, and does reflect his ego and does reflect his status as one of their well, one of their most expensive players, but not necessarily their best players. And I'm also told that at this um, uh, video conference called board meeting yesterday, that one question was asked 
of Woodward, and that was uh, by the Glazer brothers. Um, we've got £86 million worth of midfielder on the bench who doesn't make it on the field in three substitutions. What does that say about us? Is that just vindictive by the manager, or is that a true reflection of Pogba's form? And we know very well that Pogba is well regarded in terms of the commercial revenues of Manchester United. So all these things, like when a manager gets sacked, it's never one thing. It's not usually one thing. It's very rarely one thing. It is, if you like, yeah, it, it, it's a, a collective uh, event of different issues which have been the catalyst to come to the point of no return. And Mourinho's case, that's what it is. It's been dressing on rest. It's been friction with the boardroom. It's been his own um, uh, continued tussle with regarding transfers and spending. And also, I think we, we shouldn't, you know, not talk about his his mood and and his, his darkness. And Josie has this about him. Um, and, you know, he, when he does press conferences on a regular basis where he's being negative and, you know, putting out a message which is not something which Manchester fans or even the club are used to, then that does have an effect as well because people think, well, is he worth the effort, effectively? So uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, all of these things have, have conspired, uh, along with the result at Liverpool on Sunday, to affect the the situation which has happened this morning in his sacking. Um and, you know, time will tell if Manchester made the right decision because I think they made a bind for themselves in terms of the way that now effectively advertised the next job. Uh, but it's just, that is part and parcel of, of what this mess has produced. Yeah, and that's the third job in a row now he's essentially left under a cloud. Do you believe, as many people are saying, that Jose Mourinho is a man out of his time, a bit of a busted flush when it comes to management? Johnny, I... I that's a very, very difficult question to answer because obviously none of us can you know, predict the future. I'd say this, and that is that when Mourinho came into Chelsea in 2003-2004, um, I was very close to the dressing room at Chelsea then and everything that I got from that dressing room was a massive positive. Those players, when they spoke about Mourinho and they said they loved him, they actually loved him like their wives, like their children. They loved their manager and they would do anything, anything for him to succeed. And I think that also was the case. I spoke to Inter Milan players when he went to Inter. And again, I got that same sort of vibe of absolute adulation for him. Real Madrid was much more difficult. He had a, he had a, a dressing room which was already fractious, some who were supporters, some who weren't. Eventually, he came through with a title. Um, but then Chelsea, I think, the second time showed us that Mourinho's charm, his ability to get people on side, and his uh, man management that had been the hallmark, as well as obviously tactical analysis and uh, attention uh, to detail, were maybe just slipping a little. And at Manchester United, I, I think, unfortunately, the 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 you know the the omni shambles uh, uh, that I often refer to with Brexit, um, I think has has come back to haunt him there as well. And I think that he's made problems for himself, which he didn't need to. 
Um, I think he's been unfairly treated in some ways in terms of decisions made above his head. And um, But I do think that now he needs to take a break. He needs to reflect and uh, and be very, very realistic about where his career goes from now because there's no way he wants to retire at 55. Um, my suspicion is that unless he's offered something at Real Madrid, which is a possibility still, um, he might decide to take a, a, a national team job and and work less hours, but enjoy his life a bit more and then see what the future has to hold. I think, I think you, with Mourinho, you have to remember that it's less than four years since he won the Premier League title um, and won a double that season. Um, he also, at Manchester United, um, won two trophies in his first year, in Europa League. Um, last season took them to second in the league in the FA Cup final. Second in the league is by some margin the best return of a Manchester United team since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Um, and you can look at where they are uh, this season pretty much as a return to the mean post Sir Alex Ferguson, which emphasises um, the problems that the club has. Um, you know, I, I was looking at some some figures today in terms of not so much recruitment in as recruitment out, which has been a big problem for Manchester United. And he's now been through five transfer windows at Manchester United, um, just about to go into six, where he didn't know what he was going to be allowed to do in that window. And I realised that only seven um, first-team players had been sold or allowed to leave the club in those five transfer windows. Um, only five of those for fees. You know, you've got Wayne Rooney um, basically trying to get rid of him any, any way you can because he was such a problem for the dressing room um, and clearly beyond um, uh, being a key figure in, in the Premier League team. And, and that's not coincidental. That's because Ed Woodward has refused to take hits on players who are clearly substandard for Manchester United, refused to um, let them go for, for uh, no transfer fee or let them go at reduced transfer fee to get the wages off the, off, off the wage bill and to get a superior player in. Compare that with Manchester City in the time Guardiola's been at the club, exactly the same length of time. 17 first team, senior first team players have gone in that period. Uh, and Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool in the same uh, uh, transfer windows, 17 senior first-team players. So th there's been a blockage there in terms of what he's been uh, allowed to let go of and change things. I agree with Ian entirely. I think he needs to take a break from football. Um, I think he is a workaholic, and I think he feels that um, taking holidays is kind of a sign of weakness. And if you look at his career, he's basically been in work for 18 years now with very short periods out of the game um, after he was dismissed at Chelsea um, on two occasions. Um, Duncan, I just want to pin you down on something specifically about Mourinho and his methods. He famously doesn't have a great deal of time in his training sessions for attacking training. He wants spontaneity, and he wants his players to, to feel fresh and create. But have we seen a movement in the game towards much more structured attacking under Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola 
And does that leave him slightly behind the curve? I think we've talked about this before. This is it's actually a misunderstanding um, based on the way he trains players. Um, if you look at Antonio Conte, for example, um, he would relentlessly drill attacking moves on the training ground, um, getting 11 players to pass the ball around uh, cones or dummies on the pitch so that they had a, a systemized series of movements um, when when they got possession and, and were attacking. And the, and Chelsea players liked it when, when he first came in because they knew what they had to do. And they, they saw it as refreshing and they said, uh, Mourinho didn't do this. And that was read as Mourinho didn't coach attacking football. Um, Incidentally, Chelsea players got really bored of that pretty quickly and were quite happy to see the back of Conte um, before too long, doing the same thing on the training ground every day. Mourinho's idea is that you, you, you create attacking understanding through a, a series of different varied uh, drills that he, they, they never repeat the same drill in two training sessions. But it's not that he's not coaching attacking play. It's what he isn't doing is explicitly saying this is the one way you have to attack when you get the ball at the right back I want it played out in this fashion I want the left winger to run here I want a pass to the midfielder there and then the left winger to come into space centre forward waits for him it's, he's not being as dogmatic about it as that but it's not But the attack is coached I think the players sometimes find it harder to understand what attack is being coached because it isn't explicit in the way that it is with some other managers. But you don't win the trophies he has won <clears throat> through his career purely by being a defensive coach. And if you look at, you know, it's interesting what he, what he was when he talked about his, his various teams in the Liverpool post-match press conference, he was detailing how Inter, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Porto attacked or played in different ways because of the strengths of the players he inherited and designing a system to suit the, the players he inherited. Um, just to go back on what Ian was, was saying in terms of um, his weakness, I think one of his greatest strengths as a manager is his absolute obsession with winning and desire to win. But it also turns into his biggest weakness when things go wrong. I think when he sees that he cannot succeed, he, it hurts him a huge amount. And he, he finds it very difficult to cope with the kind of relentless criticism he's had uh, in the media um, in recent months, years at Manchester United. And that frustration spills over into conflict internally in the club, particularly with the club's hierarchy in saying, look, um, this team isn't good enough or the, 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 the structure of the club is not good enough, which is one of, the, one of the, the things he was in conflict with Woodward about. We need to change that if you want to win the Premier League. We're not going to win the Premier League with this club structure and with this squad at present, so it needs to be changed. And when he gets resistance from the hierarchy in those moments um, of frustration over... Uh, not winning titles, it can quickly escalate into the kind of situation we have here. And the, and the kind of negativity that Ian was talking about, which is very clear from uh, the summer 
when he was using pre-season press conferences to try and press Woodward and the Glazers to spend more on areas of the team that clearly needed to be reinforced to have a chance to win. Um, so the strength of, of being able to identify what's needed and telling the club how, how they, they have to go to improve, which has worked very well for him at Chelsea, at Inter, at Porto, at Real Madrid, central to the achievements he had there. Also worked to a certain extent at Manchester United. Once you hit that impasse where the board says, no, well, we think we should go down a different line, then it can turn into this sort of negative situation where the board resists, where Mourinho gets more and more frustrated, where relationships deteriorate internally, and where the club ends up, as it has done, precipitously sacking a manager who um, they had not planned to sack at this, this stage of the season. It's also indicative, Johnny, and we should note this. You know, this is away from Mourinho, away from his personality, away from his management skills and everything else, um, that Manchester United have approached Zinedine Zidane on two occasions in the last four months to take over, and he has flat turned them down. I'm told that representatives between the club and Antonio Conte had a conversation in the last six weeks. And the response was the same. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong here, but if you're a Manchester United fan, even if you are someone in the media who has covered Manchester United over the last 5, 10, 15 years, which Duncan and I both have, that is a situation which is almost unimaginable. Who doesn't want to manage Manchester United? It's just crazy. You get one chance to do it. But I think that people have... And by this, I mean, Sedan and advisors and content advisors and maybe other people as well have looked at the situation as being dysfunctional to the point whereby Manchester United has become a club that is very difficult to make succeed on the pitch because of the boardroom structure, because of the um, the apprehension or um, lack of ambition in the administrators to make the team successful on the pitch. And for Manchester United, that is just unrecognisable. And it's something which I think Woodward and his cohorts have to face up to when it comes to what is now the future for Manchester United and how they progress. And we go back to the director of football um, issue on that as well. I think a buffer is absolutely needed. Um, you can't have an investment banker telling a coach who's won more trophies than anyone else in the modern era that his defensive options are wrong or um, unsuitable for the club. And you simply cannot have a family of brothers who are used to running American football teams um, telling a manager or several coaches in a club that, oh, no, you, you, these are the players you need to buy, not this player, because we think that's better. And I think a lot of the fans understand that, to be honest. I think one of the reasons Mourinho was supported by a very healthy um, number of Manchester United fans, even in the darkest results and days and everything else, is because they realised that he, he was operating with one arm tied behind his back with regards to administrators. So um, there's a big issue here for Manchester United to address, and it's not just... Um, Jose Mourinho being sacked. But we, we, we talked 
many times about Pogba and Mourinho, and recently I think we, we, we stated that the, the club had to make a decision. It got to the point where the club had to make a decision between uh, t- cutting their losses on Pogba um, or changing Mourinho as manager. And I think it's clear they, they have taken the latter option. Um, and it will be fascinating to see how Pogba responds to this. I think we'll see superior performances on the pitch for sure. I think we'll see an intensity in his game that we haven't seen um, for several months. But longer term, once the new manager's in, um, it'll be intriguing to see how Pogba continues to, to play and perform for Manchester United and whether he can reach the levels um, he should be able to reach if he adds tactical awareness and, uh, and a greater commitment on the field. Uh, to his technical and physical uh, capabilities, or whether he reverts to this kind of egotistical, I am the most important player at this club because I was signed for the most money and I am on the highest wage and they like the fact I make them a lot of commercial revenue um, and my agent tells me um, I'm right when it comes to tactics and and I should be telling the the manager uh, via the press that he should be uh, uh, going on, going for attack, attack, attack. Um, so they made that decision. I, I also think the timing of this decision, apart from it being an emotional reaction to a terrible result against a key rival, I think there's a, there's an element of um, of PR involved in the fact that their next five games are eminently winnable. Um, they play Cardiff, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Newcastle, and Reading in the FA Cup. So if you are going to make that hurried decision to, to bring a caretaker in, it's a great time to do it because you will almost certainly get the new manager bounce that, that um, most managers get coming in. You'll probably get more effort from a significant number of the players who, who have been unhappy with Mourinho. And you'll get a series, you should get a series of wins. And then that will look um, like a validation of the decision to dispense with the manager. So I, th- I think, again, United are making decisions that aren't based on fundamental long-term footballing matters. They're based on appearance. Um, and that lack of strategy in the board, um, a lack of football now, it, you've only got to look at, at the years post Sir Alex Ferguson with a variety of managers who have had strong track records in the past, or to very strong track records in the past, and the continued failure to meet um, the lofty goals of their fans and the expectation that surrounds the club. Um, and you've got to say it's not, it's certainly not purely down to the managers. It's down to, it's also substantially down to the people running the club and to the, the players that have ended up being on the club's books in which someone like Ed Woodward is, has, has patently refused to cut his losses on, doesn't want to get rid of players that he is associated with signing and would rather hand them new contracts, uh, keep them there in the, in the hope that they will come good and he will look good. I think it's also interesting to note, Duncan, that players who lived through the glory years of Sir Alex Ferguson, um, that sort of, you know, I would call them golden generation, but the uh, class of 92 guys um, 
have been vociferously critical of Woodward and the board and um, Gary Neville in particular has been talking today about the need for um, a more root and branch um, revolution or certainly investigation with regards to recruitment and players and the way that players are identified and then bought <clears throat> in terms of uh, a longer term strategy. I spoke to another um, uh, recent uh, minded legend, if you like, who described the state of the club as shambolic um, today. And that reference was not just to the Saki of Mourinho, um, but also mm -hmm. to the, in the way that Moyes and Van Hal were gone through and gigs as well, as you mentioned, Duncan, and the fact that you've now come out today and said we're employing two managers in the next six or seven months as well. And it just seems to be, there seems to be no overall plan. And listen, we get it. Fergie run or ran Old Trafford and Manchester United almost as his own personal fiefdom for 20 odd years and, and did it very successfully. And every time United didn't win the Premier League title or failed to be successful, he somehow managed to reinvent them and then did it again. But since then, there has been no um, sign that they can uh, reinvent or even um, take on some kind of new model which will um, achieve the same success that Sir Alex Ferguson did at United. And so there, there are massive issues at United from top to bottom to be addressed. And they don't all come down to Jose Mourinho. I think, you know, and a lot of ways I said um, previously, the fact that people like Sunitin Zidane are saying, no, I don't want to take that job, is very, very kind of indicative of where United are now in standing in European football because it's seen as a job that is almost impossible um, to succeed in because you have an administration which does not understand football and recruitment and is more interested in social media hits and website you know subscribers and obviously share price than they are in winning trophies on the pitch but at the heart of it you've got a you know a stadium which has 72,000 people at home games who are desperate for Manchester United to in some way reprise the glories of, of the past in terms of success and trophies and everything else. And they're getting no sign of that happening. Not from the board, not from the coaching, not from the dressing room. And that, I think, is the major thing to be addressed at Manchester United in terms of this next appointment. And it's a very, very important one for them. Well, the next uh, person that's going to take over from Jose Mourinho and uh, do the job is going to be a caretaker. We know that already. Ian, who are the names that uh, are being put forward? Well, as we discussed, Johnny, Laurent Blanc is one of the um, the favourites. And, and I, as I said, have information that he's had discussions already. Um, I think his uh, take on this whole situation has been been somewhat skewed by the Manchester United public statement today with regards to um, it looks like they've separated the two jobs, i.e. there will be a caretaker until the end of the season and then there'll be a new a permanent manager appointed after that and Blong, I think, um, has seen this as a bit of a, I don't know, a, a kind of insult to him in that if he were able to increase um, the uh, improvement in both the performance and results, then why wouldn't he be considered? 
for the full-time job. Um, I think we've had a lot of um, mention of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on social media. I have to say I'm slightly sceptical regarding Solskjaer's record in management so far at, at FC Molde in Norway, um, where you know he's not exactly set the header alight even there, and therefore his ability um, to manage Manchester United would have to be improbable at best. Uh, and, you know, not no disrespect to him as a Manchester United player, but it doesn't qualify you to be Manchester United manager just because you, you know, have scored the most important goals and some of Manchester United's most important victories. Um, I think one of the people that they would have loved to have approached and got in for seven months is Gary Neville. But Neville has been a very vociferous critic of Ed Woodward and the Manchester United board and the Glazers, and therefore wouldn't consider it. Um, and therefore, you, you, you're cutting down your your options here because they've said and they've briefed that they want someone who understands Manchester United's values, their history, etc., etc. Easy things to say, easy words, and you know, platitudes to trot out, but much harder to find a person who's willing to take the job in the current circumstances, i.e. caretaker for seven months and let's see how it goes after that, um, than it is to simply say, well, we're Man United. Of course you're going to accept this job. And as we've discussed, you know, that job's been turned down by other people already. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very invidious situation that they've placed themselves in by their own default. And, and slightly you know, odd given um, the, what's up for grabs here. And we're talking about Manchester United's manager. And to me, I mean, my perfect candidate would be Duncan Caswell's. <laughs> yeah, well, I could, I could certainly continue the run of recent results, that's for sure. I don't, think he would, <laughs> I don't think he would improve the relationship with Paul Pogba, to be fair, would he? <laughs> no, he, he could call me Napoleon if he wanted to. That would be fine. <laughs> um, I, I think Ian is absolutely right. I mean, the, the, this... The, We've already said it's bizarre to announce you're going to you're, you're simultaneously looking for a new caretaker manager for over half a season, when the club's still in the Champions League, um, uh, still has the FA Cup to play, uh, still has Champions League qualification to try and pursue in the Premier League, um, and simultaneously say you're also looking for a new full-time manager. Um, you can say you're looking for a caretaker, um, and that caretaker may become. The, the future manager, if he was to do an uh, exceptional job while he's in in the role, which would be the standard way to address things and the way to make it a more attractive post for the caretaker if you if if they want someone like Blanc to do it. Um, but it, this idea that you brief that you want someone steeped in Manchester United's um, traditions, uh, preferably an ex-Manchester United player. Again, sounds great, lovely PR, but what are you doing there? You're actually reducing your options hugely by saying we, we want to take someone for this caretaker role, which isn't particularly attractive anyway, um, and we're only going to look from a certain group of candidates rather than all the potential um, managers who are unemployed at the moment or maybe in an international uh, team job which they could, uh, they could pair up with the Manchester United job. But again, that's just a reflection of, of the way this board operates. Um, another name that's been mentioned, and, and I think is a possibility, would be Carlos Queiroz, who is 
exactly that steeped in the Manchester United position, has actually been assistant manager of the club, was actually um, very, very important in their last Champions League win. Um, I remember interviewing Patrice Evra after that um, Champions League success and Patrice uh, telling me how much Kairosh had contributed to the, the defensive um, setup of the team and the transition they'd made from basically trying to attack um, most of the time in European games as they, as they did in, in most uh, Premier League games and playing a canny um, uh, defensive um, structured tactic against teams like Barcelona or teams that they felt were, were stronger on the day uh, and getting good results out of it. And that was a tactic that they, they broadened out and applied in the Premier League and won more titles off the back of it. The number of games that they went to Arsenal and, and did the same thing with you know one man up front and uh, five men in midfield and, and hitting on the counter-attack became a very important strategy to them. And, and at that time, Kairos had just left um, to take an international uh, well, uh, it might be the Madrid job or take take another job um, and Patrice was saying it's going to be harder for us next season because we're losing um, a guy who's contributed a lot to the team so if they could um, th that might be a solution particularly for, for Champions League um, uh, particularly to have a guy who comes in with great experience and being the Iran national team manager it might be possible to, to double them up I think Ryan Giggs would be a very attractive appointment from the perspective of the of the supporters. Again, if you if you could convince Wales to allow him to do that job in tandem with with the main job he's employed for, although I'm, I I think it would also be difficult for them to get Giggs given what happened between him and Woodward, um, and him supposedly being the man being anointed as the manager in waiting um, when he was Van Gaal's assistant, and then uh, being removed from the club when, when Mourinho came in. Um, but it's, you know, basically they're, they're placing themselves in a difficult position. We want to talk about permanent managers. Um, Maurizio Pochettino is obviously a strong, strong candidate for that role. Manchester United very much interested in him. Would be an extremely popular appointment with the media, popular appointment with a lot of fans. Um, but what Ian was saying about the status of the club, the way they're perceived in the game, I think applies to Pochettino because they talked to Pochettino in, in 2016. At the same time as they were talking to Mourinho, there was a split in the board over whether Mourinho was the right man to appoint and Pochettino was already the, 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 the popular name uh, in the English game and, and therefore approached by the club. And part of the reason he didn't take the job at the time was he knew how difficult that job was and he didn't feel... He wasn't convinced that he was at the right stage in his career to take it, in the sense that the the media exposure involved in being Manchester United manager, everything you say being poured over, everything you say being potential back page fodder, even if it's not that particularly interesting, every match being an assessment of whether Manchester United are in the right place or not, coupled with um, the state of their squad and the clear need to do a lot of work in the transfer market, which is something that Pochettino hasn't specialised in. He's not a coach who goes out uh, like Mourinho does and identifies the players he wants, scouts them himself sometimes, and, and then 
works hard on on the transfers himself led him to um decide Tottenham was a better place to be and I think on this occasion the same analysis is going to be there obviously he's further on he's two two and a half years further on in his career he'll be more confident about himself as a manager have a, an expectation that he could do a better job of it but also Real Madrid want him um and if he has to make an assessment between the two jobs I would say looking at it externally just from my opinion not from Maurizio Pochettino's opinion because I haven't sounded out people near him to find out what his thinking on it is at present now that Jose is gone you would think that Madrid is the far more attractive job if you have a choice between those two than Manchester United at the moment which again is testimony to where the club is Sergio Ramos or Paul Pogba who do you choose? Well, to quote the great John Lennon, happiness is a warm gun. <laughs> okay, guys, on that note, we're going to move on to the quickfire rounds. Um, today, we're going to look at the potential replacements uh, for Jose Mourinho as permanent Manchester United manager. So someone that will come in in the summer, presumably. And uh, I've got six names here. I'm going to give one to Duncan, then one to Ian and uh, back and forward. So we'll start with you, Duncan. And I'm going to say the first name on my list is Antonio Conte. I think Antonio Conte would be very much interested in the job. Um, he wants interested in having another go at Premier League football. More importantly, looking for a job where he has the opportunity to win the Champions League. Um, and if you could get the resources of Manchester United trammeled into a fashion uh, where the manager was allowed um, to do what he wants in the, in the transfer market with commercial considerations, etc., taken away, with the ability to shift players out who he didn't think are acceptable, I think that would be appealing to Antonio Conte. From the Manchester United perspective, uh, from the sense of a fit to the club, um, I don't see it. I don't see how Conte, uh, the way he, he sets his team up, has got anything to do with those the fabled Manchester United attacking traditions. Um, if you're worried about conflict with the players, you can multiply Jose Mourinho by two uh, with, with Antonio Conte. If, you, if you're worried about conflict with the board, same situation. If you're worried about conflict with the over transfer decisions, over um, the, the director of football that the club wants to bring in, same same quandary, same problems. So um, I think he's interested, but I'd be very surprised uh, if he gets the job. And if he does get the job, what that would be telling you is that the board have failed to get um, their preferred appointments in place. Well, I'm going to stick with the Italians. Max Allegri, Ian. I think um, Massimo Allegri is a very good fit for Manchester United at this moment in time. He's someone who is stable and um, would provide, I think, a, a potentially a term of management which would um, give them the ability to improve and and also build on younger players, um, build on the fact that he is a non-confrontational personality. Uh, he will uh, definitely coach well. 
Manchester United team. He's obviously worked with Paul Pogba, so that's obviously a bonus. And I think with Allegri, we've, we've discussed this in the last couple of seasons. I think he's getting to the point where managing Juventus is, is a little bit stale for him. He's taken English lessons in order to prepare to manage in the Premier League. Um, he he was definitely considered by Chelsea before they appointed uh, Sarri. So I would say that um, Allegri is is a big contender for the um, the top job, partly because, and I'm sure we're going on to this, Pochettino is a very difficult prisoner at Tottenham to get out of that um, particular <laughs> that cell. Mamma mia, another Italian, Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, outside of this one, um, I'd say in Allegri, it, it, that would be dependent on how they do in the Champions League. I think he's very much committed to Juventus, given um, the way they've restructured the club around him uh, this season. Um, but I agree that he has a great interest in coaching in England. And the same goes for Carlo Ancelotti. Ancelotti has long wanted to take another job in the English Premier League, flirted with a lot of clubs, um, has long had an interest in in being the Manchester United manager. Um, and th there's a lot to say in favour of such an appointment in terms of his ability to uh, handle a truculent dressing room. Um, certainly his ability to charm the press um, and to put out fires um, and to keep a season uh, rolling along comfortably. Um, and in this flexibility, with, with board, he's not, um, he's an ambitious manager, but he's also a pragmatic manager. So it would tick a lot of boxes in that sense for Manchester United. Um, I think the difficult part is accessing him in that um, it would require a fallout at Napoli um, with De Laurentiis. It would require De Laurentiis wanting um, to change managers again. Uh, in the way that you wanted to change Sarri in the summer. Um, he has been extremely happy with Ancelotti. However, um, that happiness has almost certainly been diminished by their exit to Liverpool in the Champions League. Um, fractional as it was, um, um, it could have changed with the last, basically the last kick of the ball. But they're no longer in the Champions League. They're not going to win Serie A. Um, if performances tail off um, through the second half of the season uh, at Napoli and De Laurentiis sees someone else he can bring into the job, perhaps Ancelotti comes in the market and perhaps as a, you know, as a third or fourth option for United, if they fail to get someone like Pochettino, um, he could be a strong candidate. Ian, would you be volunteering to lead the negotiations to get Ancelotti out of Naples? Um, I'll say I'll say this um, I'll say this, Johnny. Um, I know for a fact that um, when the Glazer family were negotiating Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement, they approached Ancelotti to be the next manager until um, Ferguson in insisted upon David Moyes getting the job. So you've got a, a bit of a history there, which I think could well have relevance in the next appointment. Ancelotti's far from being finished in football management. And remember, he's got exactly what the Glazers want, and that is experience of winning the Premier League, of the Champions League at different clubs. And so, yeah, listen, I'll give Carlo a call and then I'll speak to um, you know the Glazer boys, see what happens. 
I was thinking more in terms of the. Du, 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 oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's call that the Scotia Nostra for now, shall we? <laughs> That's the the last time that I will hum or sing on the Transfer Window podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to you, Ian. Now, uh, and your take on Maurizio Pochettino. Okay, so look, what we know for sure is that Pochettino is the hottest property in uh, probably world football management. Never mind European. Um, that some people might believe is overstated given the lack of return in terms of trophies. But he has um, proven himself to be uh, a coach who produces exciting, expansive football. He brings young players through, he bludges them and then keeps them in the team. He has faith. All of such, all those things you've got to, I think, you know, resonate with Manchester United in terms of Sir Alex Ferguson's. Um, time in the 90s um, and the noughties as well. We know as well for a fact that United have at least made contact, um, if not directly, but through third parties. But the the biggest factor, as always, when it comes to Tottenham Hotspur, is Chairman Daniel Levy and how do you get him out of that contract that he signed only last summer until 2023 and is it worth the hassle is also the question. Um, my take on this would be, Johnny, that it would need Pochettino to, to publicly declare that he wanted out of Tottenham Hotspur and, and therefore it wasn't Levy's fault and it was also the case that the club would get a very substantial um, fee in compensation for Pochettino joining Manchester United. So, I think there's a, a whole lot of um, hurdles uh, on that path for Pochettino to become Manchester City's manager. I would say this, though, and, and Duncan mentioned it before, he has the choice to go to Real Madrid. And Pochettino, I think, has been very clever and wise in the way that he has um, conducted himself and planned his career. And I would say that Manchester United right now are less of a gamble in terms of his coaching career, than Real Madrid. And perhaps, and I do emphasise that, perhaps taking Manchester United at a very low bar and trying to succeed with them will certainly increase his value going forward. And therefore, Real Madrid, which he will have a second or third shot at anyway um, in the future, uh, given his age and his reputation, is is very much a possibility. So in terms of his own planning, Man United may actually well be, and hey, have you heard, ever heard this statement before? A stepping stone <coughs> to Real Madrid. But that's my, that's, that's my um, interpretation of what's going on right now. Duncan, he's a man that hasn't impressed Ian McGarry in terms of his managerial records, but he has won three Champions Leagues. Zinedine Zidane. Well, again, if you're looking at a glamour appointment, um, one that Manchester United can sell to the fans, um, you can't look beyond Zinedine Zidane um, in terms of the candidates there, in terms of the name, in terms of the status, in terms of his history in the game, in terms of being able to show that CV of, of three Champions League wins um, at Real Madrid. Perfect. Um, once you dig beneath the surface and you ask his language skills to start with, 
he hasn't, he's not a fluent English speaker. Um, he might be learning English at the moment with the expectation that he, he coaches in the Premier League, but he's not on top of that. No experience of coaching in the Premier League before. Um, not a man for the transfer market. Um, has, has basically worked with what he's been provided. Um, yes, a dressing room a football whisperer, as, Graham, as our friend Graham Hunter likes to describe him. Um, yes, he has that ability uh, to bring a fractious um, star-laden dressing room together and provide results and harmony in difficult situations. He's demonstrated that. And yes, presumably that would help at United uh, if he was to come in now, for example, or at the end of the season. Then that, that skill of his would help, certainly with someone like Paul Pogba and the other French speakers in the dressing room. How much of that you can do um, without high-quality linguistic skills in the language that the players are speaking. Obviously, he speaks Spanish as well, so that would work with the Spanish speakers. But the whole squad, the support staff around them, how much of that can, you can do when you don't speak the language is one doubt. The other is, with Real Madrid, they had the best squad of players in, the, in, in that country and in Europe. And they had players who knew how to win and had players who had been coached uh, into how to play systems, various systems effectively to win and set up record point totals under, surprise, surprise, Jose Mourinho a few years previously. So that's a very different job. Taking Real Madrid, calming the waters and winning the biggest trophy is a very different job to taking over this Manchester United dressing room which clearly isn't the best squad, close to being the best squad in, in the division, clearly has a number of problems through it um, and, and magically turning them into winners. So I wouldn't rule it out because a lot of those things tick the boxes that the Manchester United board like, but I would say it would be an extremely risky appointment for Manchester United to go down that road um, after the, the, well, one, two, three, four, five, and, and this will be sixth um, appointment of the, of the Edward reign at Old Trafford. And final name, Ian, as we hurtle towards what seems to be an inevitable hard Brexit, why not go for the hard Brexit option? An English man for an English job, Eddie Howe. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he doesn't represent anything that's attractive about Brexit, nor indeed to be Manchester United manager. Um, he, you're talking about a, a manager who's going to come in who's won nothing except consecutive promotions, which you know is nice for his um, uh, CV in terms of uh, where he's at Bournemouth right now, but he's got no experience of managing um, players at the highest level. You can imagine walking into that dressing room and the players will be saying, Eddie who? Rather than Eddie how? And uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, he's not going to improve. And from what I've heard of his management skills from, from people who've worked with him, you know, he's not necessarily going to be the right person to galvanise that dressing room and make them into, you know, a formidable team again and winners. Uh, I understand that there are certain sections in... Um, this country who will extol his virtues 
purely on the basis that he's English. But for me, um, having seen what's happened in this country over the last two and a half years, being English isn't necessarily the best uh, qualification for making the right decision. So therefore, I'd say no. Okay, guys, we're going to call it a day there. Uh, to continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account, at Transfer Podcast. If you want to speak to us individually, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, and most importantly, our pundits are at Duncan Castles and at SJ. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. The Transfer Window podcast is now on its Christmas hiatus, given that next Tuesday is the 25th of December, and we have other things to do, as you can imagine, on that day. So we shall be back on Thursday the 27th to give you all your latest transfer news. Thanks for listening.